If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Matthew chapter 1. We continue on in this series called Unlikely Vessels. And uh, just to kind of catch us up a little bit from the last couple of weeks, we've got some items over here that continue to uh, just accumulate or stack up. But if you remember in this series, Jesus said he came to call not those who think they're righteous, but for those who know that they're sinners. And understanding that when Jesus came to this earth, it was to pay the penalty and the price for sin so that we could be set free. And it's no longer about the things that I've done in order to be righteous. It's about what He did. That's how I have a right standing with God is because of the work that Jesus did at Calvary. And I talked about this broken vessel, this vase that we had that was shattered in pieces, and it's being slowly pieced back together, and um, this will be completed then next week. But you can see uh, just how God pieces our lives back together, even though we might be shattered, there's still some pieces over there, but God is doing something. He's at work. He's molding. He's healing. He's mending. Last week, we talked about labels, if you remember that the different things that people might struggle with in life. And sometimes we get those labels put on us. Matthew, the tax collector. You know, Tamar, the prostitute. Rahab, the prostitute. Uh, but even those labels can happen here this day. Uh, maybe people struggle with a variety of sin issues. And, and understanding that the label that God gives us when we come to faith and repentance in Christ is this forgiven Label, And that's what God sees when we're in Christ. And I want to show you this picture here on the screen. Somebody sent this to me yesterday. Instead of their family name at the mailbox, they made this sign that says, The Forgiven. And I uh, really appreciated that. And uh, to me, an understanding that who we are in Christ is forgiven. We're forgiven. Are you thankful for that? Amen. Amen. So Matthew's genealogies, he's writing these things out here in Matthew chapter 1. He's writing a genealogy of Jesus Christ. And this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, understanding history, when they would write out genealogies, they would try to make them as prestigious as possible for a king. And Matthew, as he begins to unpack this, you see that he's got some people added in here that maybe would give a black eye to the genealogy. And so, um, understanding the last couple of weeks, we've been sort of walking through some issues that people have had in their life, specific sin issues, maybe the, the life they were living. And we see that in these first couple of stories. You know, Matthew, the tax collector, you see Tamar, you see Rahab. And today's story is not so much a specific sin issue, but more in general, sin in general, and how that creates a brokenness in life. You know, you can be broken by decisions that aren't even yours. And just the general nature of sin and how it works in this world, there can be things that happen that can absolutely crush you. And we're going to walk through that today. It's not so much about a specific in sin issue or bad decisions, but it's about brokenness that comes through circumstances. And we're going to unpack that with the life of this next individual. 
in the genealogy. So before we read, I just ask that you join me in prayer, and then we'll begin the message. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and how you speak into our hearts and lives. Father, as we look into this story, I pray that your spirit would guide us and lead us. Help us to understand the healing power of Christ. No matter what we're walking through and what our circumstances may be, God, we can trust you. And I pray your spirit would guide us in this time together in your word. We pray for a blessing over all of the children's ministry that's taking place right now. Lord, may your grace be upon them. And we lift this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. We walked through her story last week. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nation. Nation was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Again, we walked through her story last week. And Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And that's the story we're going to be unpacking today. And so if you would, turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. Last week we were in Joshua, so if you go two more books, you'll be in Ruth. Before we begin to unpack this, I just want us to understand that this insignificant town of Bethlehem, God is up to something. The prophet Micah says in 5 verse 2, and I read this at the beginning, he says, you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are a small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And at the time that Micah would have written that, there would have been two locations known as Bethlehem. So this addition of Ephrathah is significant. We know it's the town that specifies Bethlehem in Judah. This insignificant, tiny, little town of Bethlehem. And if you back up a little over a thousand years, there's a family from this tiny, little, insignificant town. This man's name is Elimelech and his wife Naomi, and they have two sons, Malan and Kilian. And what's going on in Israel is a famine. They're running out of food, and so in order to be able to survive, they flee Israel and they go to this country called Moab in an effort to be able to survive. In Ruth 1, verse 2, the Bible says that this family, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. While they're in Moab, the Bible says that Elimelech dies, and now Naomi is left with her two sons. And these two sons, 
they marry two Moabite women, one by the name of Orpah and the other one by the name of Ruth, the one that we mention in the genealogy. But ten years later, both Malan and Kilion, they both die. And so now you have three widows, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. Naomi hears that the Lord has blessed people in Judah by giving them crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law get ready to leave Moab and return to their homeland. And she sets out with these daughter-in-laws, but on the way she turns to them and tells them, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you with kindness because you were kind to your husbands and to me. And may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. You see this pain, this loss that's taking place in this family, especially for Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. Not only did they lose their husbands, but now they're at a point where they are going to say goodbye. And it's not like today where you can just pick up the phone and make a phone call to your mother-in-law, to your family member. They're parting ways. And so to a certain degree, they're grieving yet another loss. They kind of tried to convince Naomi to let them go with her. They said, we want to go with you to your people. But then Naomi starts to reason with them and says, why should you go on with me? Can I give birth to other sons that would grow up and then be your husbands? And last week we talked about how in this culture that's what they did through their relatives. If your brother's wife passed away, you would then take her to be a part of your family. And Naomi's going, I don't have any more sons. And so what, are you going to wait around until they're old enough to be your husbands? She says, no, return to your parents' home, for I'm too old to get married again. And even if that were possible, you know, the likelihood of that time transpiring just doesn't seem very practical. But then she says something in verse 13 that I want to just take note of. Because I think you understand the pain and the heartache that Naomi is experiencing. Toward the end of verse 13, she says, Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She's upset at the circumstances, and now we begin to see Naomi being upset even with God. Verse 14 says that Ruth clung tightly to Naomi and Orpah had made the decision to leave. She basically kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and Naomi starts to talk with her and says, are you going to go back like your sister-in-law to her people and to her gods? Notice her gods, plural. Last week I talked about a moment when Rahab was with those two Israelite spies. And in the Canaanite land, they had all kinds of gods. Plural. All kinds of gods. And there was a certain moment when Rahab recognized that the Israelite God is the supreme God. 
And she's claiming that. Not just for those Israelite people, but for herself. And you see this moment happen for Ruth as well. When Naomi says, you, you can go back to your gods, and then Ruth says this in verse 16. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. And your people are going to be my people, and then you can underline this, you can circle this, but this is a moment where I think you see Rahab's faith. She says, and your God, capital G, is going to be my God. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. And on to Jerusalem, or excuse me, to Bethlehem they went, and when they arrived, the entire town was excited by their arrival, and they said, is it really Naomi? There's some women that start to ask that question, kind of greet them. And Naomi's response, out of that frustration and that pain and that anger that she's in, she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Now, I was struck by that. I went away full, but I've come back empty. Why did they leave Israel in the first place? Because of a famine. They didn't exactly go away full as far as that's concerned, but she went away with her husband and her two sons. Things that we would consider more important than food. She says, I went away full, but I've come back empty. There's food back here in the land, but... I've got nothing with me as far as what I left with. That's her thoughts. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? A few nights ago, we had our service of hope here at Faith for anybody that's lost a loved one this year. And I want to unpack just a moment of that service. That when we lose people in our life or we're going through difficult circumstances, one of the things that can happen is we get angry with the circumstances, but then the enemy would like to transfer that anger to the Lord himself. And you see that starting to happen in Naomi's life. And that's a very vulnerable place. A place in which our relationship with God can be hindered and even crippled. But Paul helps us with this in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So there's a certain amount of this as we walk through these things is we can also trust God. That's another option rather than getting angry. But it takes faith. Lord, I trust that you're going to work everything to the good. That takes faith. And just as chapter 1 ends with Naomi's bitterness, you can already see God at work 
They just happen to show up when it's harvest. And, you know, one of the things that widows would do is they'd go out in the field and they would collect whatever was left over by the harvesters. That's how they were able to eat and get their grain. And so in chapter 2, it just so happens that Ruth is collecting in this field of a man named Boaz. He's a relative of Elimelech. You can probably start to see where this is going. You already saw the genealogy, Boaz with Ruth. You know where this story is going, but let's see how God weaves this together. So this woman catches his eye. He starts asking his harvesters about her. He's kind to her, gives her water as far as letting her drink from the well. And Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him. And she says, what have I done to deserve this kindness? I'm, I'm a foreigner. I'm an outsider to your people. Why are you being so kind? And Boaz replies, he goes, yes, I know this, but I know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Even though you're an outsider, may you come underneath the refuge of God Almighty. Powerful. Part of trusting that God's going to work everything out to the good is we have to come under His refuge and say, Lord, as I trust You, I, I come underneath Your care in the midst of these circumstances. Well, Ruth brings home all the grain that she gathers it impresses Naomi because there's so much. And she tells him, or she tells her about the field that she worked in. And Naomi says, May the Lord bless this man. He's showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our kinsmen redeemers. It's like all of a sudden... There's this sliver of hope. This kinsman redeemer would be that relative that would take Ruth in to his home and she would no longer be a widow. Well, the harvest continues and Ruth continues to gather from Boaz. And in Ruth chapter 3, Naomi has an idea. Ruth, go to Boaz's house. Go there at night and lay at his feet. And Boaz is startled by this. He says, who are you? And he asks, I am your servant Ruth, she says. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my kinsman redeemer. Think of what she's asking him. That refuge, that covering over this vulnerable woman. Be my kinsman redeemer. Redeemer. And Boaz has a heart for Ruth, and he agrees to take her as 
his wife, but this needs to be done right. And there's someone who's actually of closer kin than he is. And so in Ruth chapter 4, Boaz sits down with this man in the presence of the town elders and also others who decided to gather around. And marrying Ruth actually brings a risk to this other man's estate that he's not comfortable with. So he tells Boaz to go through with it and marry her instead. And Boaz confirms this with the witnesses. And in verse 11 of Ruth 4, the elders and all the people standing at the gate replied, We are witnesses. And may the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. So Boaz takes Ruth into his home. She becomes his wife. They get pregnant and she gives birth to a son. Remember those ladies that welcomed him back in? And Naomi's response of bitterness? When those women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family, and may this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. After they said that, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him. And she cared for him as if he was her own. This wasn't necessarily a son, but this was a grandson. And walking through that season of life where it seems like, God, how could anything improve my situation? Here she is years later, sensing the presence of God and His goodness. They named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of King David. Do you think Naomi thought about that when she had these men in her life pass away? Like when she's experiencing that pain in the moment, you know, it's like someday God's going to give me a grandson, and he's going to be the grandfather of the king of Israel. Do you think those kinds of thoughts were going through Naomi's mind? I mean, we saw what kind of thoughts she was having. The Lord's fist is against me. Those are the thoughts that she was having. But meanwhile, God was still at work. And years later, the Holy Spirit uses Paul to give us that verse I read to you today. But it's not like Naomi had a verse like that to sort of sit on in her devotions. God's going to work everything out to the good of those who love God or called according to His purposes. But yet that is what God did. Here in this insignificant town of Bethlehem, here she is holding this grandson, Obed. 
and to think in that same town. A little over a thousand years later, there's another woman holding a baby. Her name is Mary. And as I process that, I think, I wonder what part of the town Naomi was in, and I wonder what part of the town Mary was in. If this is a small, insignificant town, what if this was like right around the block? Think of that. Ruth ends with a genealogy leading up to King David, and it's one that you'd recognize because we've been breaking it down in Matthew chapter 1. So why would God include broken people in the genealogy of Jesus? That's a question that I've asked at the end of every message in this series. And while the brokenness wasn't because of specific sin issues, the brokenness in Ruth and Naomi's case was just simply because the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world, we're going to walk through things that absolutely break us. But the application today is that we can trust God to somehow work these things out to our good. And I mentioned to you the significance of this grandbaby of Naomi someday is going to be the grandfather of King David. Naomi didn't know that. Naomi didn't know that over a thousand years later that our family lines connected here to the Savior of the world. I mean, and that's beyond her lifetime. And so not only can we trust that God's going to work things out to the good, sometimes there's things God's doing that we won't necessarily get to see on this side of heaven. But that's where we have to trust, that God is still up to something. Even if it doesn't seem like it, feel like it, know that he is, because he says that he is. And this was sent to me this morning in regards to Ruth, an application point for us from Ruth's life. Be a Ruth, one who's loyal in all your relationships. Walk the extra mile and don't quit when things get tough. Someday, you'll see why it was all worth the effort. The response today is just an encouragement to all of us. No matter what's going on in life, we can trust that God is at work. Why would God include broken people in the genealogy? Because, folks, that's why he came. He came for broken people. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? And as we close, I want to invite the worship team to come up and prepare our response song. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're a God 
who pieces our lives back together. Whether there's brokenness because of specific sin issues or just sin in general, that there's pain and there's suffering because we live on this sin-cursed planet. But Father, we can trust that you're still at work. Working to the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And Lord, just like Ruth saying to Naomi, your God is going to be my God. Perhaps there's someone listening right now that you have never made that kind of declaration in your life. And saying, I want to put God as number one in my life. And saying that He is going to be my God. And I'm going to put my trust in Him. If you desire to do that today in receiving God's grace into your life by having His presence through Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to pray with me right now to receive Simply pray in your heart and say, Jesus, today I want to make you my God. Today I ask for forgiveness of my sin. I'd ask that you'd cleanse me and make me new. Every area of brokenness I surrender to you and I ask that you'd bring healing. And I want to thank you today for being my Lord and Savior. And I receive you by grace through faith. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Father, for all of us in prayer right now, help us to just trust you. It sounds simple, but it's going to be hard and certain situations, and so I'm asking for your grace to help us to trust that you are at work. Holy Spirit, bring your peace, your comfort, and do that supernatural healing that only you can do. We lift all these things to you, to the glory of God, in Jesus' name. Amen.